Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the epistle reading today, the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So God tells you, tells us, that he doesn't want us to be informed. And there's more, more than one in, uninformed, and there's more than one reason why. Primarily, though, it's because of what he says at the end of that reading, when he tells us, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encouragement comes from God's word, and knowing God's word in faith. Now, as a bit of background, the Thessalonians thought that the return of Jesus was imminent, and that those who died before his return missed out in some way, shape, or fashion, or somehow were not a part of the church because they died before Jesus returned. They jumped the gun, so to speak. It was a false uh, misunderstanding, along with some other issues addressed later in this letter. And so here God used St. Paul to correct them, to inform them about what it means to really die in Christ, and what it means when the Lord returns. Now, today, you might not have those same misunderstandings as the Thessalonians, but you're still taught about what it means to die as a Christian and who you are as the Church of God. And this is an important thing, then, to consider this day, one that's very clear. When you consider the death of a Christian, it's different than that of an unbeliever. And related to that, when an unbeliever considers death. Note first, though, what God does say. He doesn't say you won't grieve. Christians and unbelievers both grieve. Each mourns the loss of those whom they love. Each hurt. Jesus wept in the scriptures over the death of Lazarus, and Christians mourn the loss of other Christians. Your grieving, though, is a grieving with and why is that? Well, maybe first we should ask the question, what does this mean? That good Lutheran question. And let's go back first to that reading from Matthew, the gospel reading. Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. So here Jesus puts this vivid image before the people. And fear is something that should be directed towards God. God's wrath is real, and he can, as Jesus says, destroy both body and soul in hell. So here's a little snippet, a little fierce glimpse of God's anger towards sin, what it looks like on earth when God is abandoned, when Christ is rejected. The abomination of desolation points to a number of things, but we see the destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem, the end of the world, all of those things kind of wrapped up together here. But when we consider the fall of Jerusalem, its siege, we see this city. Here's this city of peace, which is what Jerusalem means. But the peace which had been rejected 
the peace of God who was found in Christ. That city instead mocked him, rejected him, crucified him. They had turned their backs on the Lord of hosts, and this event in history teaches us then to grieve our sin, to be in terror of God's wrath and judgment when we continue in it and turn and, and instead turn to God's mercy found only in Christ. Traditionally, the hymns on this Sunday of the church year have a lot to deal with that idea of Jerusalem and us seeing God's wrath in it and us turning for our sin. Our sin. Lutheran Service Book doesn't include those hymns, but in TLH you can find a lot of those. It's not, a lot of them are really long, but kind of that, we see that in there. So we see a, this event in history and we hear these words of Jesus. We look at this sight and we repent. And we see another lesson in that too, that nations, however great they may be, when they turn their back on the Lord, they reap the consequences. In some ways, though, God teaches us about what it means to mourn with hope when we see something like this and then look at our own lives. He tells them that the time is cut short for the elect, for those who belong to him. And when we look around us, we see our lives according to God's word and according to his law, and we see that we indeed have sinned. We see that image and we see that this is what we deserve and even more so. We deserve to be like those people, too, who the calf was ground up and put in the water and made to drink it to drink of our own sin. But not only that, as Christians, we see we have called to view our lives through the lens of God's word and lead lives according to it. We've been called to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and no man. And so this past week, on many levels, has given us reason to shake our heads on numerous accounts. But as Christians, we look at what has happened this past week, these past months, these past months, this past year, and even our lives is evidence that we live in a fallen world heading toward destruction. And it's tempting for us to stumble over these events and lose our gaze on Jesus who has overcome the world. As the people were fleeing from the Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed, it was easy to get caught up in looking at those sites and to despair. But it's tempting for us either to, to veer off course, to look for false Christ who would promise us relief healing, prosperity, life, redemption, apart from the true Christ, who reveals himself in the scriptures, or to just write things off as unimportant. Many false gods spring up during times of trial, like we're going through this year, and the devil is alive and well to, tear, to trying to tear you away from Jesus and eternal life. The church of God has been suffering. It's been suffering for ages, and this is where this year it's no different. Looking at then what we see even in our country, looking at the promised policies of some of what seems to be our future president, we're going to be in for a rough go of it as Christians. Our faith is going to be tested, and if these promises and policy are enacted, such as certain things regarding discrimination or speech, we're going to be persecuted. Our schools are going to be persecuted, we might be persecuted. I have a friend in Canada who's a pastor, and he sees a lot of the, he always is talking to us in, in the United States. He loves Canada. And he talks about how, as a pastor now, things that a few years ago had been enacted, and now it's come to the point that he's been threatened as a pastor, that if he tells somebody struggling with homosexuality to repent of their sin and to seek help, he faces five years in prison. And that's just our border to the north. 
But we're called, though, in times of whatever the case may be, times of joy, times of sickness, times of whatever, we're called to remain faithful, to remain steadfast, and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away. The words of the intro from Psalm 31 are our prayer in this world that God would be gracious to us, that he would let us not be put to shame, and that we find refuge in him. The alternative to capitulate or to compromise, to be the city of peace that simply just rejects where true peace is found, well, that's no alternative. Because then we should fear God's wrath. We should see the destruction of Jerusalem and look long and hard at our lives. So during this time of a pandemic, during times of whatever it may be, we grieve. But we don't lose hope when Christ and his word is preached in our midst. Jesus warned the people, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in, in the rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So then now, what does it mean to grieve with hope? Or what has all of this got to do with mourning? Well, dear Christians, Jesus places before you today something wonderful. So you see that terrible image of wrath, you see that terrible image of destruction, that terrible image of death, that abomination of desolation, and all of those things. And you see that the Lord has redeemed you from that, from all eternity. So baptized into Christ, you're informed in this world. There's no fake news in Holy Scripture, but they're the true, inspired, inerrant word of God, which has made you wise unto salvation. And it's a lamp that shines in the darkness. These things around you, and yes, especially death, when death seems to be surrounding us, you see that through the lens of the one who is the Son of Man, your Redeemer. So to mourn with hope, then, is to see the world around you and to see the enemy as defeated. You know that this, too, will pass, for God's word endures forever. Suffering, sin, the devil's work, death will come to an end. It will come to an end one day. Because Jesus has taken your sin upon himself and made peace by the shedding of his blood on the cross for you and the whole world. And that's seen vividly when you look at the death as of Christians. So as Christians, when you look at the death of those who die in Christ, or when you think about your own mortality, about your own death, you know that that's not the end. I had a professor once who said he wants his wife to have written on his tombstone, this is but a momentary setback. The point bring, being, yes, your loved ones have died, but they are alive in Christ. So in that brief epistle reading, we see that when we die, our souls go to be with Jesus in heaven, and our bodies are laid into the tomb as a person lays down his body at night to sleep. That's why sleep is often a euphemism when talking about the death of Christians. 1 Corinthians talks about this this way as well. The soul is with Jesus, and then on the last day when the Lord returns, we are bodily, physically raised from our graves, just as the Lord says in the reading. 
He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So those who are alive on the final day join with those who have gone before us and are reunited with their bodies again. But now all have put on immortality and incorruption. This isn't some rapture reading as was popular in the 1990s and early 2000s, but it's the day of resurrection. Notice how he talks about being together here as the people of God. This is what will actually happen as God promises this to you. There's a reason why this epistle reading is often read at the committal service as we're standing out at the grave of a Christian and we read this reading and we fix our eyes on that day when the Lord comes with the voice of an archangel and these graves that we see around us, the saints rise victorious. That's your hope that God shows you. That's your future. That's what's going to happen. And so that's why God says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another as the body of Christ with these words of hope. These are the words of resurrection. These are the words of life. That's what it is to grieve with hope as Christians. It's to know, as we sang last Sunday, All Saints Day, but lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. So we rejoice, dear saints of God, and Take courage to face the days right now as ones who have eternal life. Not even death can take life away from you. The book of Romans and the book of Isaiah both tell us whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. Lords, it makes no difference. You're children of God, sons and daughters who are heirs of life. So what a wonderful thing and what a confidence to have to be informed, not just in some knowledge way, but to know and believe what you have as God's people baptized into Christ. And that's the confidence to stare death in the face and have hope, to have life. And it's even a confidence to see your brothers and sisters in Christ lowered into the grave only to stand back up again. And you know what, dear saints of God, you will too. Unless the Lord returns first, you will fall asleep in Christ and go to be with him in heaven. And then on the last day, your bodies will rise from the grave along with all of God's saints. And we together will always be with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. What a wonderful image. Oh, courage to see us rise up. The word for resurrection in Greek and in German literally means to stand up again. To stand up. So take courage. Jesus is risen and you have all of this in your baptism. So what a future you have, a future that God places before you today, all on account of Christ crucified for you, a future which is a future of glory, a future of joy, of peace, of life eternal. Amen.